Uh, if you want to open your Bible to where uh, mine naturally opens, with the help of this, uh, Matthew chapter 5. We're looking at the last of the Beatitudes. And we could call this two of them. There's a slight difference. Uh, let me read this. Verses 10 through 12. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in this same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So this is a blessing on those who are persecuted. And because he says it two different ways, it could be seen as two, but I'm taking them together. Uh, when we start looking at persecution of Christians uh, and persecution in the Bible... You could say persecution is puzzling, but what is puzzling about it is that we don't expect it. Honestly, if you read your Bible, if you look at Christian history, if you look at what's happening around our world, the fact that we are not facing persecution is unusual. Uh, and and uh, it's just a, a puzzling thing. Uh, and somehow... Somehow, and I, I, maybe I'm speaking out of turn, but I'm speaking for all of us, somehow we think we're exempt from this persecution thing because we're special. You know, we have been privileged to grow up in a country, which is, by the way, how countries should be, where we are free to worship as we see fit, where we are free to go to church, where we don't have to fear being persecuted or hunting down, hunted down or losing our jobs or, or property or things like that because we are Christians. We're, we're fortunate for that. And this is the way it should be. It's what we want to leave for our kids. It's what we want to leave for our grandkids. It's, it's what we wish we could pass on, but it, that simply may not be the case. Uh, today we're going to see two reasons we might face persecution. One is for righteousness' sake, and one is for Jesus' sake. They're, they're, they're similar, but they're two different things. Uh, we should see, we will see that persecution should be our expectation, and that suffering for Christ is a privilege. Uh, that's something we don't seem to recognize. The truth is we fear and avoid suffering. We try not to. No kidding. That's, that's something we don't want to do. But it is a privilege to suffer for Christ. And the reward is the kingdom of heaven. And he says, your reward is great, for so they treated the prophets who went before you. And, and that's a huge thing. So let's look first. We're going to look at reasons for persecution. Verse 10. Uh, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay, for the sake of righteousness. This is when you take a stand for what is right. And so at this point, it's not exactly the same as taking a stand for Christ, although it is your faith in Christ that leads you to take that stand for righteousness. Uh, John the Baptist is a really good example of someone who was persecuted for taking a stand for righteousness, because John was not persecuted for proclaiming Christ, John the Baptist, or I should say, was not thrown in jail for proclaiming Christ, John the Baptist was thrown in jail for saying Herod should not have taken his brother's wife. That's what he was thrown in jail for. Okay, Matthew chapter 14, just a few pages to the right, uh, and I've got my marker in there, so I'm not losing it, neener, neener if you do. Uh, <laughs> chapter 14, verses 3 and 4. For when Herod had John arrested, he turned on the light so he could actually read that more easily. Uh, when Herod had John arrested, he bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip. 
It's really suspicious at the beginning when someone named Herod names, marries someone named Herodias, right? Right then, you read sirens should go off. Something's weird here. Okay, the wife of his brother Philip, for John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. Although Herod wanted to put him to death, he feared the crowd because they regarded John as a prophet. So John's arrest was that he told Herod he should not have his brother's wife. And all he said was, it is not lawful for you to have her. He didn't lead a protest. They weren't picketing Jerusalem. You know, they weren't doing anything like that. He's just out there in the wilderness, and probably someone asked him a question. Hey, what about that Herod guy? He's got his brother's wife, and he says he shouldn't do that. That's wrong. He's contrary to the law. And, 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 and I mean, to, to fill in the pieces, it's really bizarre trying to get this story together. First of all, her name is Herodias. She's a relative, like a cousin or second cousin or something like that. Enough, enough, enough just, again, just to make you nervous. But then she was married to Philip, Herod's stepbrother. Is Herod, there's a lot of Herods. There's like three or four Herods in the Bible, too. It's hard to keep track of everybody. And, and Herod Antipas is the one who is... Uh, marrying her or having her and has him thrown in jail. And his brother, Philip, also called Philip Herod or Herod Philip, uh, his stepbrother is married to her. So Herod Antipas divorces his wife and brings her over as his mistress while she's still married to his stepbrother. And, and for some reason he said that was wrong. Uh, it's like, Huh, I don't get it. Yeah, you get it. That's right. No, you don't have to be a genius. You don't have to be a Christian. You don't have to be a righteous person to say that's wrong, it's wrong. But that is why he was imprisoned and later killed. That is an example of being persecuted for righteousness sake. He simply stood up for what was right when it was not convenient to do so. It was not convenient, it was not easy, in fact it was dangerous uh, because it wasn't a nation of law, it was a nation of decree. The king could decree whatever he wanted, and, and, and it would happen. And, and so he offended the king, and he was thrown into jail. Okay, for this he was killed and stood for righteousness. There are a lot of modern examples. It doesn't take long to get worked up over our modern examples of taking a stand for righteousness and sometimes facing opposition or persecution. Okay, I'm going to talk about the difference between opposition and persecution, too. Uh, but for instance, if you stand up in the public square and say abortion is wrong, Okay, uh, you are open, you've, you've put a target on yourself, and people will snipe at you. By the way, don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid of people saying bad things about you. First of all, great is your reward in heaven, right? It, is, it, it happens. Don't, you, I don't know how else to tell you. People will say bad th th things about you if you stand up for righteousness like that. And it, it, once, you, once you first hear it, you say, oh, that hurts, I don't like it. And then you realize, oh, wait, it doesn't hurt, it's okay. Because it actually doesn't hurt for people to say they don't like you. Right? I, I get it a lot. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't hurt. You realize that there's a reason. If, if they don't like you for a really good reason, it's really good that they don't like you. Right? Does that make sense? Uh, and and so, so if you stand up and, and, and you're... And people, will, they will say, well, you're against abortion, or you hate women, or you're, you're something like that. No, you're not. You're trying to protect life. That's your goal. That's your desire. And if you stand for that, and people don't like it, so be it. But that is a, that is a stand for righteousness where you can face persecution. Okay? Taking a position against what I'll just simply call the gay agenda, rather than throw a bunch of changing letters at you. Right? Um, 
uh, it, the gay agenda. If you stand up and say that is wrong, and it is. Now, by the way, you don't necessarily have to go out and, and because you can say it badly, right? I think, for example, you know, I, at school I have uh, the, the box where the kids can ask, the, we call them the question of the day. And, and the, the student body at Christian Heritage has been broadening. And, and we had a young lady in the class for a while, a couple of years ago, who asked what was, was a very legitimate question. She wanted to know, did the Bible really teach homosexuality is wrong? And, and I wasn't, I try to keep it anonymous and I never point out who asked the question. I was supposed to not know, but it was pretty obvious who asked the question. And I knew she was coming from a worldview that said it was right. And she's hearing, she's hearing at this school that it's wrong. And I could have come out and just blasted her, but what's the point of that? Instead, all I did was go, to, and I, I say it, I hate I'm saying it badly, but, but you know, the Bible does teach homosexuality is wrong, and there are clear passages in Scripture, even though, it's funny the things I've read in the newspaper. I've read in the newspaper that the Bible says nothing against homosexuality. I've read in the newspaper that uh, uh, if you do, you're taking it out of, out of the Old Testament passages, the same ones that say you shouldn't eat bacon, <laughs> which I don't follow that one. <laughs> But there are clear passages in the New Testament that show homosexuality is wrong. And, and they're not hateful, and they're not mean. They're simply showing that it's wrong. And, and you can, you, as gently as I could, I, show, I showed, and I think she accepted it really well, uh, because she wanted to know what the Bible actually said. And I showed her what it actually said. Okay, we don't have to come out and, and condemn and blast them. No matter, sometimes, man, sometimes, especially when you put it on the spot, it just comes out that way, doesn't it? Okay, try not to do that. They are wrong, but they are, you know what? They are sinners for whom Jesus died. Uh, and, and homosexuals get saved. <laughs> I'm going I'm to just make you as uncomfortable as I know how. <laughs> do you not know, you get, some of you have heard me do this before, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor those habitually drunk, nor verbal abusers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. There it is. Such were some of you. So look at your neighbors. <laughs> Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. God changes us. It doesn't matter what you were before you were saved. And, and I'm not going to look around and say, hey, I know what I think that person's sin was. <laughs> no, that would be really stupid. Uh, because we're all sinners saved by grace. And so we want to be careful in the way we do it. But if you stand up in the public square and say homosexuality is wrong, you have taken a, a, you, you, you've taken a stand that is going to be unpopular, and you will take hits for it. Okay, uh, and and you will. Uh, so I, I asked uh, out at camp. I said, "Hey, somebody give me some more," because I was working on this out at camp. And, and this lady said, "Critical race theory." I said, "Ooh, you know, I don't even. I am not studied up on critical race theory, but I know that I don't like it. <laughs> uh, you know what? It's but it's a popular thing today. It basically um, is placing blame for for basically human nature. Uh, in my opinion. Racism is hate looking for an outlet. Uh, and, and, and that's my version of critical race theory. But, but placing blame on races for racism is, is a 
is racism, yeah. <laughs> anyway, you know, and, and we can go on. You know, we could go on. If we, we could, if we are sitting brainstorm, we could probably come up with a lot more. There are things out there that are going on in our society that are called, wrong, called right that are wrong, and when we stand up and say, no, that is wrong, we are taking it, especially if we're correct <laughs> and biblical, right, then we are taking a stand for righteousness, and we will get feedback for it. Now, that's in... The United States. There's other places where it's much more dangerous. Okay, bringing these things up, uh, let's talk about the degree of persecution because there's such thing as opposition. Okay, we once had a young lady, one of our Awana girls, uh, took her Bible to school here in Davenport. This was 15 or 20 years ago. Took her Bible to school at Davenport. I think she was like a junior higher. And during free reading time, she was reading her Bible. And the teacher came along and said, you can't read that here. This is school. You can't read your Bible here. Okay, she came back, she told me, I went up to school, knocked on the principal's office, said, this is what happened, and that's wrong. And he says, you're right, that's wrong, and I will fix it. <laughs> and he fixed it. Now, that was not persecution, that was opposition. Okay, Persecu opposition is not exactly the same, or at least it's, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, opposition is way down on the mild side. Opposition is no big deal. Of course there's going to be opposition. This world is the devil's world. He is the prince of the power of the air. Uh, that, that's, that's what this world is. Okay, uh, Paul Scott isn't here today. He's off on vacation, but, but he brought me a copy of a tract uh, about a week ago. Uh, he, he, Paul, Paul likes to leave tracts at the post office, and this one had a note written on it. Uh, it is not legal to leave these here. Please stop doing that. Signed, Postmaster. And, and uh, he was kind of like, See the persecution I'm receiving? I said, Paul, you'll survive this one. But, uh, <laughs> but what's going on is it's opposition, it's not persecution. And, and I don't know the, exactly the legalities on that. You can hammer Becca about that <laughs> or Wyatt. Uh, but I think, I think to the extent that they would allow anyone else, they have to allow other people. I just told them, we'll put it over in the free library section. Yeah. You know, do that, and it, it, it's, it takes away the problem. But that's opposition. Okay, uh, if somebody writes, uh, because I w used to write in the paper a lot, I would get letters to the editor occasionally talking about what a bad person I am. Okay, that's, that's not persecution, that's opposition. Of course it's opposition. If you stand for anything, there will be opposition for you. So, so if you're standing for what's righteous, <laughs> there will be opposition. Persecution is more than that. There's, though, at that point, they're simply opposing you. Persecution is when you are arrested for hate speech, for saying gay is wrong. By the way, I'm saying this on the internet. Right? We are being streamed on Facebook right now, and maybe somebody hears this who doesn't like it. Right? Sorry, I'm not trying to offend you. I'm just speaking the truth. Okay? Homosexuality is wrong. Okay? Now, in America, that's still not officially hate speech. But in Canada, I'm told it is. There was a case in World Magazine where in Norway, a state, uh, one of their version of, of a, would be a House of Representatives, and a doctor were, were taken to uh, court for basically saying the Bible is right on this. That's, you know, they weren't very uh, outspoken that I saw from what I read, but, but they were taken to court for hate speech. Our world is going that way. Today, I can say this without fear. Maybe next year, if I say this, I will be in much more danger. Okay. So the question is what? Do I, do I change what I preach? Right? It, and the answer is, is, is no. And by the way, in our group, Right? If I went to, pre to, to jail for, for preaching these kind of things, 
I'm coming back a hero. I, I was like, <laughs> so what'd you do, Steve? Oh, I spent six months in jail. How was it? It was so nice. <laughs> I don't, it probably wouldn't be. I probably wouldn't like it any more than anybody else. Uh, when you are jailed for protesting an abortion clinic, there was a man, I can't remember his first name, his last name was Anderson, not one of our Andersons, uh, but uh, this is going back when the Christian Workers Conference was still going on in Spokane, and he spoke about uh, abortion and abortion clinics, and he'd been to jail several times for, for protesting at abortion clinics. And, and you know, the, the way that has worked has developed over the years, and, and he literally went to jail for righteousness' sake, okay? This was him. Uh, one of our young ladies was thinking about joining his group, and I just warned her. I said, you know, if, you, if God calls you to do that, then do it. But if he does not call you to do it, recognize what you're volunteering for, uh, and, and, uh, because I feel like it's a responsible thing. Those are, but those are modern examples of being persecuted, actually persecuted for righteousness' sake in our modern world. And per, per, being persecuted for righteousness' sake makes perfect sense in a fallen world, doesn't it? Because our world is literally calling wrong right and right wrong. And if our world is calling right wrong and wrong right, then when we call right right, they see us proclaiming what is wrong. That, that, that makes sense. You can say, but it's wrong. It's wrong, but it's right. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it, at least it's logical. To, to the world that calls wrong right, the person who stands for what's right is wrong. Picture this as, as an example. Picture you are a, a Russian citizen, you live in Moscow, and you look and you say, the war in Ukraine is wrong. You stand up in the public square in Moscow and you say, this war is wrong. What do you expect to happen? <laughs> See, it's, it's, you, are, you are in a, a country that is doing the wrong thing and is calling it right. So when you say it's wrong, you are the bad guy. You are the traitor, right? You are seen as betraying your country. Guess what, Christians? Guess what? When we stand for righteousness' sake, that's what the world sees. That person who did that would be right, but he would be considered wrong because their viewpoint is wrong. Okay, so that's the first one is for righteousness sake, and the second one is for Jesus sake, and that one's actually a lot easier to deal with, because you claim the name of Christ. You are persecuted. We don't see that here, but some of you have faced this, right? Matthew chapter 10, staying in the book of Matthew right now, Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 through 36. This is a hard truth, but it's truth. This is, if you have a red letter Bible, this is red letters. Jesus is speaking. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to turn a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be the members of his own household. Okay, some of you know exactly what this is saying, because you say, wow, that has been my experience. I came to Christ, and my family turned against me. Okay, now I... I have that in a small... I never suffered persecution from my family. I've faced opposition from my family. I've mostly faced a matter of... Uh, what's the word I want? Uh, they don't care. <laughs> it's, what's that? Ambivalence? Yeah. It's like, well, maybe, maybe so. It's more like, uh, you know, they choose to ignore you kind of thing. Apathy? No, that's not it either. I'll, I'll think of it as soon as the sermon's over. Uh, <laughs> 
Um, you know, but but uh, some of you have faced much more. You might face it on the job. You might face it at school, especially, boy, if you go to college. Um, uh, not you, Cedarville Saints. You guys are okay. <laughs> what is the Cedarville logo thing? Mascot? No, but is there a mascot? Yellow Jacket, okay. If you're Cedarville, they ought to be the Saints. But anyway, <laughs> uh, but, but most colleges, you will, you will face literal persecution in classes from, from, from at least one instructor or two. Uh, it's the way it is. Okay, and this one's so much simpler to, to see and understand because, like I said, we live in a world that belongs to the devil. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2 talks about our situation before we come to Christ. I keep flip, flipping past it one way or the other. I'll read Philippians 1, 2, 1, and 2. And you were dead in your offenses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air and of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. We were walking according to the course of the prince of the power of the air. Right? I wasn't... I, you know, you... You, you, aren't, you weren't necessarily saying, I'm serving Satan. I'm doing Satan's will. I'm seeking to please him. That was not what you were doing, but you were still doing, you're following the course of this world. He, he's subtle enough. He's smart enough to know if I say, hey, if you do that, you're following Satan, people are going to say, wait a minute. <laughs> I don't want to do that. So he's, he doesn't proclaim that with a billboard. He just gets you doing what he wants. He doesn't care. He's got you going contrary to God and you're a lost soul. He says, when you were dead in your sins. He says, among them we too all previously lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. We live in a world that belongs to the devil. We are combatants in occupied country. I think of France during World War II, and there was the resistance movement. Okay, A lot of hostility between, uh, in thought at least, or feeling, between those who were, were in the resistance movement and those who were going along and, and trying to please the Nazis. Right? Which ones were the true patriots to France? <laughs> the ones who were in the resistance movement. At least that's my opinion. Uh, you know, but there are a lot of people who just said, let me get by. And they were kind of middle ground. Uh, they, 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 we are to be combatants in enemy country, and be, because we are, then, then we're going to have opposition, and it's because of Christ that we are. And if we're doing what we should, should be doing, then we should expect opposition. We should accept persecution. And as we look at this, believers have always been persecuted, right? Uh, Jesus, the, the funny thing is that we, like I said, if we think it shouldn't happen to me, I'm, I'm not, but this is me. I'm not supposed to be persecuted. And, and what makes you think you're so special? Jesus described the righteous, again in Matthew, I'm going to Matthew 23 this time. Again in Matthew, he describes the righteous as always being persecuted by the unrighteous. Matthew 23, verses 34 and 35. Therefore, behold... I am sending you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify. 
And some of them you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, so that upon you will fall the guilt of the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Now, Abel to Zechariah, for us, has the added convenience of A to Z. <laughs> and that's really just a coincidence of the English language. But um, it has this. Abel is Genesis, and Zechariah is the second to last book of the Bible. Right uh, of the Old Testament, I mean, uh, and so we have have the he, he's he's encapsulating the entire Old Testament by naming those two martyrs. He says from Abel to Zechariah, and, and he's saying the per, the righteous have always been persecuted by the unrighteous. He says I'm sending you out like them. I'm sending you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify. So he's, he's speaking to the persecutors. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Some of them you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. So that, what does he say? So that guilt will fall upon you like it should. We see the apostles persecuted early and often. Uh, I like, I like uh, I've, got, I've got listed here, and I, I don't want to do this because of time. I've got listed here Acts 4, 19 and 22, Acts 5, 33, Acts 7, 54, Acts 8, 1, Acts 9, 15 to 16, Acts 12, 1 to 3. And then I stopped because I said there's just too many. <laughs> but they're all persecuted. I, but I want to do, this is our scripture reading, Acts chapter 5. And I want to look at that one a little bit. Because it's, I guess I'm twisted, I say it's fun. Acts chapter 5, verse 33 this is talking about the, the, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, the people who had the ability to persecute the Christians. They've got Peter and they've got all the apostles. If, I'll just tell, tell you the story. and You can go back and read it for yourself to see if I'm a dirty dog liar or not. But uh, the, the apostles are preaching at the temple and they all get arrested and they get put in jail. And in the middle of the night, an angel comes and visits them, unlocks the jail and says, go out and preach in the temple some more. So they go out, and they're preaching in the temple. The priests and the, and, the, and the Sanhedrin people, they come in some back door and don't see them out there doing it. And they go in, and they said, go to the jail and get those guys out. <laughs> and, and what are they doing? They're out there in the front doing the very thing they got arrested for the night before. And, and so they go to have, to have the guards go get them, and the guards go to get them, but they're not there. But they find them out front preaching again, <laughs> and they bring them in, and they tell them, stop. It's like, I just got let go by an angel. Do you think I'm going to listen to you? They don't say it that way, but, but I like it. Okay, so... Uh, Basically, they say, we're not going to stop, and we get verse 33, the Sanhedrin. When they heard this, they became infuriated and nearly decided to execute them, right? They're discussing whether they should not have them killed, right? But this guy Gamaliel steps in, and he says, no, no, let's not do that. So they don't kill them. Instead, verses 40 to 42, they merely have them beaten. They followed his advice, and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then released them. Right? Ouch! I mean, I've never been flogged. Maybe it's not that bad. I'm looking for a volunteer. <laughs> no. uh, so they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And I want to tell you something. They were not pretending to rejoice. They were not forcing themselves to rejoice. I believe they were filled with, with the Spirit of God and realized that this was indeed a privilege to be counted worthy to suffer for Christ's sake. You know what? 
there are people he's probably not real interested in having suffer for him because they don't make him look good. But there are other people who do, and he, they, they're considered worthy. Okay? Uh, that, uh, we see plain teaching. So those, I, the, like I said, I listed all those passages in Acts. I'm not going to go through them because of time. But there's plain teaching that says we'll suffer for persecution. And 1 Peter is a book that the entire book, if you read it, seems to be talking about preparing and living in persecution. But in chapter 4, it intensifies uh, and, and, and takes another turn. So we get to verse 12. And it's as if Peter, something new has happened, or Peter has just heard word of this, or maybe he's been ready to say this. But he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though something strange were happening to you. What's he saying? He says, persecution should not be thought strange. Persecution should be expected. Why are you acting like it's such a big deal that persecution has come on you? See, and, and that's something, and, and you know, I do not see tomorrow. I may die at 105 and never see persecution. Or things may change within the next year so that we've all seen it, right? We, we don't know what this world has, but we should not be surprised if and when it comes because it has happened to the church all along. He says, why, why, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for testing, as though something strange were happening to you, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. And Peter was one of those guys who was beaten and then rejoiced about it. He says, Keep on rejoicing so that at the revelation of his glory you may also rejoice and be overjoyed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. And then he goes on, he says, Make sure you don't suffer because you deserve it, right? Make sure none of you suffers as a murderer, thief, or evildoer, troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. We are told to expect persecution. So we see the apostles persecuted early and often. We see plain teaching uh, about persecution, that we should expect it. Let's add to the scripture the history of the world and what's going on in our world around us today. We have uh, in today, uh, if you... If you follow Voice of the Martyrs at all, it's easy, or just go to Google and type in 1040 map. And, and 1040 is between the 10th and 40th uh, par parallels? Is it longitude or latitude? <laughs> you know, it's, it's this big window that basically covers from North Africa to uh, the Philippines, or Indonesia. Indonesia, Philippines or North. Uh, and, and it covers that window. And in that window, we find most of the Muslim world. And where we don't find the Muslim world, we find the Hindu world. And if we don't find the Muslim or the Hindu world, we'll find the atheist world. And it is where believers are most persecuted for their faith. And by the way, if our world has 8 billion people, which kind of rounds it up a little bit, one quarter of them live in China, an officially atheist country. Uh, slightly less than a quarter, about a fifth of them, live in India which is an officially Hindu country. And people have this vision of Hindus as being these, these peaceful people walking around talking about nirvana and stuff like that. They are violently persecuting Christians, and it is increasing. Okay? They're, they're burning churches. They're chasing people out of their homes and out of their villages. They're killing people. They're leaving them uh, without their property. And it's not happening to everybody, but it's happening there. 
Christians are being persecuted. Persecution in, in, in the 1040 window is the Muslim Hindu world. Persecution in China, the atheist world, it's increasing. Persecution in Colombia, South America, it's, it's one of the great, great, uh, the t top 10 persecutors of Christianity. The drug, drug cartel world. Christians don't fall in line. The world hates Christianity. The world hates Christianity. And persecution is going on more now. There is more martyrdom going now. They said there were more martyrs in the, in the 20th century than in the 19 leading up to it combined. And I believe it. Uh, if you, if, if, it subscribe to Voice of the Martyrs. And, and read what they have there. You know, the, in Hebrews, I don't have the verse here. I should have, should have gotten it, but it says, pray for our, ah, we, are, we are to sympathize with those in persecution as undergoing prison with them. Um, something to that effect. I'm sorry I don't have that better. You should be asking yourself this question by now. Why am I not being persecuted? Right? This is an amazing thing. Why is my life so easy? Am I doing something wrong? Sometimes, I hate to say this, sometimes after a funeral, I wonder what I did wrong. If, if the person, see, if you die and I get to do your funeral, it will be a glorious thing. It's, it sounds like I'm a twisted human being, but to do the funeral of a person whose faith you know and have observed and respect is an awesome thing and a powerful tool. But there's two kinds of people the pastor does funerals for, people he knows and people he doesn't know. If, if someone comes to me and knocks on my door and says, would you do a funeral for my dad or grandpa or whatever, means grandpa does not have a pastor. These people knocking on my door do not have a pastor. These people do not know the Lord. So you go to that funeral and you talk about what it takes to have eternal life. You talk about the person, you talk about eternal life and Jesus Christ, because you do. Because people are sensitive to things of hell. And you talk about it, and then afterwards they come to you and say, good sermon or good service. And, and the first thought I have is, you didn't understand what I said. Because I talked about your dad and I talked about what it takes to get to heaven. Don't you see? I, I, I never say, by the way, your dad wasn't. <laughs> right? I, I'm not bold enough for that. I am a coward, <laughs> right? I'm not bold enough for that, but, but I'm thinking, did you not hear what? And I think, what did I do wrong? They didn't get it. I did something wrong they, because they don't dislike me. <laughs> if they heard what I said, they should be upset at me. They should dislike me. What did I do wrong? I'm not facing persecution. What am I doing wrong? Am I too quiet on issues of righteousness? Am I doing that bad a job of representing Jesus Christ? And it may sound funny, but uh, it's a question well worth asking yourself. Why am I not being persecuted? And I'm not trying to guilt, make you feel guilty about anything. I'm not trying to say you're doing something wrong if you're not suffering for Christ. But I think it's a question we need to at least consider. Am I ducking the chances that he gives me to stand for him? Am I dodging them? Am I avoiding them? Or do I face them when they come? Quickly, the rewards. He says, first, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you look back to uh, chapter 5, verse 3, back to, back to Matthew 5, 3, the Beatitudes, that is the same one we find with the very start of the Beatitudes. They start and they end with blessed are because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Okay? This is not heaven as if because they do this, they get to go to heaven. This is, means you are living with God as your king now. You are in the kingdom of heaven because you, you are serving the kingdom of heaven. You are in that occupied land, but you are serving the king of, kingdom, king of heaven. So the kingdom of heaven is yours because you are serving your country and the kingdom of heaven is glad to claim you. Because while you are in this enemy-occupied land, you are clearly living for him. Blessed are you when people persecute you for righteousness' sake because yours is the kingdom of heaven. It's obvious that yours is the kingdom of heaven because you are living for heaven. Because God is your king even now and you are in occupied land, you will face persecution. But you've proven who your king is and he is glad to claim you. And then he says in chapter 5, verse 12, he, he adds to it, Blessed are you, or I'm sorry, you're rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And now that, he doesn't actually tell you what it is. He says, he says because that's how the prophets were persecuted. He doesn't say how they were rewarded. <laughs> but he says you're like the prophets. I don't know what it means, except for this. It means you're in the big leagues. It means you are where I mean, when you say the prophets, Isaiah, tradition, we, the Bible doesn't tell us how Isaiah died. Tradition says he was sawn in two. Jeremiah was kidnapped and taken into exile against his will. Uh, um, different prophets, you know, like Zechariah, mur murdered, martyred between the temple and the altar. I don't know how that worked. The Bible doesn't tell us how it happened. And Jesus just said it did, right? So avoid persecution? Yeah, who wants to suffer? Right? Who, who, oh, look, there's a fire. I'm going to stick my hand in it. You know? No, no we, we don't try to suffer. But if we avoid serving Christ because we're trying to avoid suffering, then we're cheating ourselves out of something, out of a reward that would be well worth it. It would be well worth it. Live for Christ. Here, here's, the, here's the solution. Live for Christ, and if that brings suffering with it, so be it. Okay, final, final example, guys. Your car breaks down. It's, some of you, when, when I, I took my car to Jeremy when I needed brakes. I, I, thought, I, th he, I think we both thought I was going to do it and he was going to help me, and instead I watched him do it. And he didn't scrape himself. He didn't bleed. He, <laughs> he, he's, he's got a gift. Because <laughs> I can't work on a car without bleeding. <laughs> Somehow, somewhere, you know, it's, 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 it's going to happen. Uh, but, but what do you do? Do you say, well, I'm not going to fix that car because I'm going to cut myself. I'm going to scrape a knuckle. I'm going to bleed. No, you say, got to fix the car. I'm going to bleed. <laughs> and, and some of you, you apparently have the gift and you don't have to. But uh, if you want to suffer, serve Christ, sometimes you're going to bleed. It's, it's the price. You, you just say, okay, that's what it takes. That's, it's what I'm going to do. Don't let suffering stop you from living for Christ. Or if it comes to it, don't let suffering stop you from dying for Christ. Our reward is eternal and, and irrevocable. Okay? Let's pray. Dear Jesus, this is not the most fun subject we've ever talked about. Lord God, I pray. Lord, I don't know what to pray because I want to pray that we don't have to face persecution but I don't feel like that's right. Lord, I pray that if and when we have to face persecution, we face it well, with faith and with courage, with consistency.
Father, give us the wisdom to understand when we might be trying to avoid suffering for you. Give us the wisdom to recognize that when we're doing that and to choose to suffer for you and to find the blessings that come with that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.